Okay. Um, I don't know if I need this or not, but I'll, I'll put it out here a little bit. Uh, another thing I forgot to mention, and I, I think it might be in your handouts or your advertisements, is we go on an amazing fall conference every semester or every fall. And uh, this year we're going up to western Pennsylvania uh, to a place called Ligonier uh, Conference Center. And we're going to be with University of Pittsburgh, Pitt, okay, Penn State, and Millersville University and University of Maryland, okay? And uh, so this is September 29th or 30th, October 1st, 2nd, that weekend. So mark that on your calendar. If you go to the website, you'll see information about it, and we're adding some things. 65 bucks or in that range. I'm pretty sure 65 is going to be it. If, if that's a problem, let us know. We'd love for you to go. Um, it's a great time to get away. Uh, from College Park and after about five weeks of classes or four weeks of classes, whatever it is, and uh, to get out there in the great outdoors to meet other people, to get to know God. And uh, a great speaker by the name of Rod Edwards is going to be uh, speaking to us. And so uh, think about that. We are, we're doing um, a series called Jesus in Living Color. And I think there's like little cards out there. You may have seen them. I encourage you to like take a few of those cards and maybe invite somebody. Also, uh, there's new red RUF cups back there, and those are gifts. So if you don't have a red RUF cup, take one. That's our gift to you. We thank you for coming. And, uh, you know, you can use it for water and, and other, other beverages. Um, anyway... Uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, 14 to 20, as you can see up there. But this, this past Monday night, folks, there was a big deal uh, right across the street here at Bird Stadium. Who went to that game? All right, a few of you did. That's very good. Now, uh, everybody is talking not only about the game and the new offense, but, of course, the uniforms as well. And, uh, you know, somehow they were able to take the Maryland flag and drape it in Under Armour over a football player. I think you saw that, you know, with the... The yellow and the black, the, the red and white, the cross. It was not a symmetrical helmet. I don't know if that bothers you. I'm more of a traditionalist when it comes to, to football uniforms, and that certainly was not. Um, but anyway, I thought it was pretty wild. And they were certainly making, they were making a statement uh, with that game. Now, LeBron James apparently tweeted about the uniforms. Ooh, he did not like it. Um, and uh, But it made, apparently, all the morning talk shows, they were talking about the Maryland football uniform. So it was really a brilliant marketing plan uh, that, you know, the football team and, I guess, Randy Etzel, the new coach, and everything did. And, uh, you know, they were, they, were, they, they were trying to make a splash. You know, they, they were on national TV. It was the only game that night. Uh, and for football teams and recruiting, that's everything. They had... The whole country pretty much watching that game and here are these like crazy uniforms. Somebody said they look like a clown uniform. I'm not going to go that far. Um, I, I think they're pretty good and I think they're going to grow on you. They had one helmet that was like a, a, a terrapin shell, I think. And actually I missed that. I didn't get there to see those, but I look forward to seeing it next time. But Randy Etzel was also making, you know, unveiling a new offense and they were throwing the ball to everybody everywhere quickly. It was a very exciting drive. The first drive, I mean, they went down the field right away and scored uh, a touchdown. And they should have had 14 points, but um, it was picked off there at the end. But, you know, firsts are important. And this was the head coach's first, um, you know, football game with the Terrapins. You know, new uniforms. 
And in this passage here, Jesus is inaugurating his ministry, his public ministry. And to some extent, he's making somewhat of a splash too. Uh, and he's being very bold. And we have kind of these summary statements. So if you will, look at your Bibles or look up here and we're going to read Mark uh, 14 to uh, 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. All right, we're going to look uh, at this passage tonight, but um, I also want to say, too, that, um, you know, this, this series that we're going through here, looking at the Gospel of Mark, what we're seeking to do is to get away from a lot of maybe the cultural ideas of who Jesus is. Um, and uh, last week I talked a little bit about that, about this picture of Jesus that, you know, the media gives us, that movies and Hollywood give us, um, that Christian bookstores give us about Jesus. Uh, the church I grew up in, there was a stained glass picture of Jesus behind the pulpit. And uh, it was a very nice, beautiful Jesus. He um, was wearing a perfectly white flowing robe. He had nice brown hair. I think he was Caucasian. And uh, he had a lamb slung around his neck. It was a very serene... You know, this is the Jesus that was portrayed up there. A very soft, nice... Nice Jesus. And to some extent, uh, when we look at the Bible, we don't get uh, the full... Or when we look at the Bible, we get the full picture of who Jesus is. We get the authentic Jesus. And uh, the Jesus that's very hard to put on a piece of stained glass. Or to put in the movies. Or to be portrayed as Mel Gibson would like him to be portrayed. We get a very different uh, picture. And so, I hope that as you come uh, this semester and you look at the Bible, you'll see that Jesus is much different maybe than you expected. Uh, that, he's a, that He's different than maybe what you learned when you were uh, growing up in Sunday school. Uh, that He's wild. <laughs> that He is authoritative. Uh, that He is calling people to repent and believe. And that's really what we see here. And so as we look at this passage tonight, we're, we're really looking at the centerpiece of what He's all about. It's kind of like the thesis of your term paper. <laughs> he's talking about, again, the Gospel of God. And so we're going to look at what's the Gospel, who's it for, and what's it call us to. Okay, so the first thing is this. What is this Gospel of God that Jesus is proclaiming? In verse 14, He says that Jesus says Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. And some of this might sound familiar from last week. And you might hear these phrases a lot. Uh, this idea of the Gospel. Because really, that is the centerpiece of the entire Bible. It simply means good news. It simply means glad tidings. It means that there's something that has happened that has broken into our world. 
And it's good news. It's great news. It's the best news. And that's what the gospel is. It was used as a phrase when maybe a new emperor came into power or even when there was a major military victory uh, that, that had happened. It was history outside of ourselves. It was victory. And it was the word Jesus is using here that He was proclaiming this gospel, this good news. And so what does that mean? What's that look like? Well, why is He proclaiming good news in the first place? That that's kind of means something. It means there's probably bad news out there. And I think if you're honest with yourself and you, you honestly look at this world, uh, you can see a lot of bad news. You can see um, how this world is affected and fallen. It's fallen because of something called sin that actually happened way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Where basically Adam and Eve, they started out in this perfect paradise world. They had a perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another, a perfect relationship with their environment and the creation. They loved God. They walked with Him. And then the tempter came, the serpent, and everything changed when they decided to go against God's Word and do what they wanted to do. And that's what the Scripture calls the fall. And through the fall, we have the curse of sin. And through that, we have ultimately a separation, a breaking of what the biblical authors call shalom, this, this idea of peace, of blessing throughout our relationship with God and with others. And, uh, and this is the state, really, that the Scripture says that we've all sinned. We're all in this situation. We can see it in maybe the way we treat people. We can see it in our um, maybe our attitudes. We can see it in our uh, anxiety and our worry. Uh, we can see it um, in bigger things like discrimination and racism um, and injustices that go on in our world, uh, in war. Um, in all kinds of things, we can see this fracturing and this breaking of that shalom or that peace with God. And that's the situation. So that's the bad news. And so Jesus is coming on the scene and He's proclaiming the good news. He's saying some really wild things. He says this, uh, verse 15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What in the world does that mean? The time, I mean, Jesus has these bold statements. The time is fulfilled. Like what if I came to the University of Maryland and said to President Lowe, President Lowe, the time is fulfilled. I have arrived. Okay? I mean, think about that. That's what Jesus is saying. He's, he's, he's saying, guess what? The time is fulfilled. What is this? Well, He is basically saying uh, that He is now the climax of all history. That when He comes on the scene, when He shows up, He is fulfilling something that has been promised long ago. That... There is a history, there is a beginning in the garden, there is the fall into sin, and then there, is the, there, there are these promises all through the, the Old Testament, and Jesus is fulfilling those, and He's saying, guess what, I am here. The time is fulfilled. I am here. The climax of history. This is a bold statement. This might sound even arrogant. I'm what all history is about. I am here. Everything is going to be fine. That's what he's saying. Uh, it's not, it's not a, uh, a humble statement. It's a true statement. But he is sa- it's bold. Um, and he's really saying, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the fulfillment. I'm Neo. 
You know, I, I am the one that all the prophets have prophesied about. This is me. I am here. Recognize me. The time is fulfilled. It's huge as well. He says, uh, um, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's going on with that? Well, the, this, this phrase, kingdom of God, is a huge phrase as well in the New Testament that Jesus uses. When I think of kingdom, I think of Disney World. Who's the king there? Mickey Mouse. Uh, that's not the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. But we, th- we tend to think it's a place, it's a realm. You know, it's, it's the castle and, you know, the king and the queen and everything. Like, you know, the UK, okay? That's the kingdom, United Kingdom. Um, but what Jesus is saying is more like a realm. It's not a geographical place, but it's everywhere that Jesus is exalted. Every place that He goes and sets His foot and that He is there, He is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So again, this is a very bold statement. This is saying that the kingdom is here. I am here. I am the King. <laughs> I am the Lord Jesus Christ who created you, who created this entire world, and I am now here on this earth in Galilee, and I am saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay? The kingdom of God, the place, this realm where God reigns in everything. And so this is really an important thing because what we're going to see throughout Mark is that Jesus is going to do things that only God the King could do. He's going to begin to reverse the curse. Okay? And what I mean is all the things that sin affected back in the garden with um, uh, separation and with destruction and with um, the physical failing, all those things now are going to be, become uh, healed by Him. And so as, you, as He does these miracles or signs, He's making a statement. He's saying that God and His kingdom are reigning. And so He heals the lame. He heals the blind, opens the eyes. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. All of these things that sin had affected, He reverses it and He reigns over it as the King. And so we would expect this because He's God. And so this is what He sees, this is what we see that's going on. And it reminds me of uh, those of you Lord of the Ring fans. Sam Gamgee said to Gandalf, uh, is is everything sad going to come untrue? Do you remember that phrase if you've watched the movies? Some of you just watched the movies. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And what he was mean, he was talking about the, 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 how everything was terrible, but with the ring being um, you know, destroyed, it was like a reverse. And everything also became peaceful and it worked backwards. And so the kingdom of God is like that. Jesus comes on the scene. He begins reversing the curse. And this is a, this is a big phrase. but the, So there's this sense where when Jesus is here, the kingdom has come. But also there's a not yet aspect of the kingdom where it's going to be ultimately fulfilled when He comes the next time. When He comes the second time. So we're in this in-between. The kingdom has come. We, we begin to see the healing effects. We begin to see... Um, people come to know God and relationships be restored and the power of God's Word and the good news and the Gospel affect people. But then we see brokenness as well. And it's this idea that God is going to do more and more and more and more ultimately. And when He comes again, it will be completely restored. So, one of the things to think about with this is uh, 
you know, as you think about Jesus making this statement, you have to come face to face with this reality of like, is he just arrogant? You know, is he just out of his mind for saying things like this? Or is he who he says he is? Um, you know, is Jesus just on a, on a power trip? Um, is he just full of himself? What we see, though, as, as Mark goes on, is we see him saying these things, but also being very different than we, what we would expect. He's humble. He's compassionate. He's loving. Ultimately, he lays down his life for his people. So we don't see this bold, arrogant statement and then stepping on people everywhere. What we see is this totally different picture. We see power, authority, awesomeness, and then serving, humility, dying, being with the weak, being with the poor, being with the outcast, being with tax collectors and sinners. It's like totally different. This picture of Jesus is huge. It's big. Second thing is, who is the Gospel for? I love this part of this, this story. Um, what does the passage say? It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. Into Galilee. Okay, little geographical lesson here. So you have Jerusalem down here in the, in the southern part of Israel. And Galilee was up here. Okay, it was a lake. But this area was known for uh, a place which was very diverse. It wasn't just where the Jewish folks were. There was Jewish folks there. But there was also a lot of Gentiles there. Uh, there were Samaritans nearby. It was a very diverse culture. And it's interesting that Jesus came into Galilee when He starts His ministry. When He goes for the first time, He goes into this place that is very diverse. It's not Jerusalem. It's not the political or religious center. But he goes to this far out kind of rural area where there was many different types of people that were there. He's making a statement. Again, he's making a splash, so to speak. And he's saying that the Gospel is for everyone. That uh, the Gospel is not just for the Jewish people. It was for them. But it was also for the world. It was to bless the nations. And we see that if you look at Matthew 4, there's a parallel section where it talks about Jesus going into Galilee as well. And it says this, um, he, Matthew talks about Isaiah saying, um, He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, these are two of the tribes of Israel in the north. The way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. For the people with the shadow of death, the people in the dark, the Gentiles who didn't see the promises, a light has dawned. And so we have the Gospel coming forward and Jesus going there. He's making a statement that uh, his ministry, his mission, is for everyone, for the outsiders, for all people. And uh, we see pol- politicians do this as well. They make huge statements when they begin their campaigns. In fact, I looked to see, uh, do you know where um, President o- Obama started his campaign? When he first ran for president? Anybody know? Springfield, Illinois. Anybody know what, what happened in Springfield, Illinois? Historically? Yeah. 
What's that? Lincoln. Lincoln inaugural address there. So you have, he, and he was, here's what he said. Um, it was here in Springfield where north, south, east, and west come together that I was reminded of the essential decency of the American people. I can't imitate him. Where I came to believe through this decency we can build a more hopeful America. But again, he's making a statement there. He's going to Springfield. He's tying himself back into history, into Lincoln, into these issues of, of social justice and democracy. Jesus is doing that in an amazing way here. And it's for all the people, no matter what class or occupation. That's the next thing we see. So Jesus takes this gospel out, and now he's walking along the seashore, and he sees Simon and Andrew casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. Okay, And he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then James and John as well came. Fishermen. What in the world? He's calling fishermen. Now, if I were to start a religion or some sort of movement, I think I would go to, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, University of Maryland. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, I would, and I would pick those folks who are, are competent and have the know-how and the education and the, and, the, and the people that can get things done. Jesus is making a statement here. He goes to the fishermen, to the simple fishermen, the common folk. Now, these guys weren't necessarily poor because it says that there were other servants in the business. So, I mean, they probably had a prosperous fishing business, but folks, it's still fishing. It's not, it's not necessarily like understanding, um, you know, the ins and outs of Jewish law and religion and, and how we can do this thing. He didn't go to the religious establishment. He goes to the fishermen. That's amazing. To people that weren't in the know. <laughs> the people that were blue-collar to regular guys out there in the boats. That's what he did. Um, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing thing that he's doing. Why is this important to us at Maryland? Well, it's important to know um, that Jesus is not just interested uh, in one sector of the culture. Jesus is not just interested in religious people or people with a background or people with a certain heritage. Um, Jesus is bringing every tongue, every tribe, every people group, it says in Revelation, into His kingdom. All kinds of different people, all kinds of different colors, all kinds of different social economic classes that we are united by Jesus and who He is and what He has done. Not by the things that this world says, hey, you can, if you live up to these things, you can be in this group. Jesus is saying, fishermen. Jesus is saying, Galilee. He also says the high and the elite, too. He also says the religious, come follow me. But he's making a statement saying, these people need me and I'm going to go there. He's blessing the nations. And he's calling the church to do the same. And then the last thing is this. What's it call us to? What's the gospel of the kingdom call us to? Well, it calls us to repent. Repent and believe. Um, repent and believe this message. And repentance, you know, simply means turning and changing directions. It simply means recognizing these issues that you're a sinner, that, uh, that you 
Um, a definition of sin would be you worship other things other than God. Other than loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You love things. You love people. You love relationships. You love lamp. You love all kinds of... <laughs> you. If, if people got that, they got it. Uh, there, there could be a multitude of things. I mean, it's a worship disorder. That's a simple definition of sin. Instead of worshiping the God who made you and created you, you worship everything else. We all do this. Uh, sin can be defined as not loving your neighbor like yourself. That's basically what Jesus said. Not loving me, not loving God, not loving your neighbor. And so repentance is, first of all, just recognizing, hey, that's me. I see that I fail to love God. I see that I fail to love people. I see that if I look deeply into my life, I'm a mess. Um, I see things in my life that I can't control. I see urges and desires and lusts that I can't, in my own strength, say no to. It's recognizing that you're a mess. It's kind of owning up to that. There was a pastor who said this about recognizing sin. He said, cheer up, you're worse than you thought. That's good news. To recognize that you are a sinner. That's, what, that's the amazing thing about the good news of the Bible. You recognize that you've got bad news. And then the good news really looks good. It really looks sweet. And so, Jesus is saying, repent. Own up. Recognize. Confess it to Me. And then believe in the Gospel. The Gospel is the hope. The Gospel is the good news. The Gospel is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's where He's going. He's on His way to the cross. I mean, that's what Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all about. He's starting at point A and He's going somewhere. and He's going to the cross. And He's bringing as many people with Him that will listen to Him and believe in Him. That's where He's going. And so, believing in the Gospel means acknowledging that you're a sinner. It means acknowledging that Jesus is the One that saved you on the cross. Um, and it's, it's a freedom to do this. It's freedom to repent and believe. Why is that? Because God unlo- unleashes you from your bondage. Another way that the Apostle Paul talked about sin was bondage. We can't get out of it. We're stuck. We're dead. We're in despair. And, um, and so the Gospel comes and it, it, it loosens our chains. It, it, it gives us a vision of how life is supposed to be. It gives us a vision of God's love for sinners. And Augustine, the theologian, said, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in Him. Our hearts are restless. Our sin nature is our hearts are restless. We just can't get anything to satisfy us until we find our rest in God, in this Gospel, in this good news, in something for us that's outside of ourselves. And so that's what it is. And so he illustrates this repentance here. He says in verse 18, Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And so, I mean, this is bold again. Like Jesus, you know, Jesus says, Hey, hey, you guys, like I see you're out there fishing, but follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, it's kind of, again, like what in the world? How could they just like all of a sudden leave? Now, we know from some of the other gospels they had a history with Jesus. That he had, that he had been with them. He talked with them. They had seen him do miracles and teach. Mark doesn't show that. Mark is just saying, here is Jesus. Follow me and be a fisher of men. He's emphasizing 
what repentance looks like. He's emphasizing repentance looks like change. Repentance looks like leaving these things and going to Jesus. That's what repentance is. Now, does this mean, okay, so if I come to Jesus, that means like I have to like stop being a student. I gotta sign up to go to, you know, some foreign country and be a missionary. Is that what it means? Not necessarily, no. But it means that Jesus is going to change the way you think about everything. If you believe in Jesus, you believe and you repent as a student, that's going to change the way you're a student. Um, you're going to seek to glorify Him in your studies. You're going to seek to, to worship God as you study, as you learn, as you educate yourself. You're going to think about life differently, how you spend your money, how you live, how you treat people. It's going to change everything about you and who you are. So following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean like, okay, I changed my occupations. In this story, it did. They changed. They went from being fishers, straight fisher, fishermen, to fishers of men. It might be that way for you. If, if Jesus gets a hold of you, um, it might just mean you like, you do exactly what you're doing now, but like you think totally different about it. It might mean that like, you, you want to go into full-time ministry. I don't know what it's going to mean. I've told this story before, I think maybe a couple years ago. But uh, there was a guy I met. I went to the Philippines on a short-term mission trip a couple years ago. Or not more than that now. And uh, we were staying in this house where missionaries would come for a retreat. And I met this older man. He was from Chicago. His name was Ed Roush. And... Uh, I think we got talking about baseball or something. I think it may have been during the time when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were like hitting home runs on steroids. Uh, but uh, he was a big Cubs fan, and he was probably like 75 years old. Well, as I'm talking to him, I find out that he's been in the Philippines for like 45 years. And uh, he's been there. He was with a group called Wycliffe Bible Translators. And he went to a place called Wheaton College up in Chicago. Him and his wife went there. They wanted to go into full-time Christian service, so they got with Wycliffe. Wycliffe says, who likes the water? They raise their hands. We live on Lake Michigan. We love the water. So they said, okay, you're going to the Philippines. So they sent him to this little island south southwest of Manila, I think called the Palawan Islands. And so they go there. This is like, I guess in the 50s, like in the 50s maybe. Early 60s. There's no no Christians there, and their job was to like live with this people this people group. And this is uh, they're pretty primitive. They live in huts. Um, you know, I don't think there's electric or running water. All those kind of things. And uh, to to learn their language, to write it down, and then ultimately to translate the Bible. Well, when I had met him, they were just finishing the New Testament. 45 years, been working on the New Testament. He told me that it was, I want to say, 12, to 12 years before the first person even became a Christian. And so they're in this village, they're working, they're learning language, developing relationships, you know, helping the people, doing whatever they could. And nobody, would, nobody came to know God. And he got his whole church, and his pastor from Chicago came over, saw the situation, got the whole church praying, and they just prayed. They just prayed like crazy. And finally, one person became a Christian and believed the Gospel. And then others began. And now, there's like 
churches everywhere, like in this in this area. And it's all because somebody got fired up about this big story here about God's kingdom changing people and doing amazing things. And so it's transformed the world. Um, this people group's known for uh, climbing up into these caves and getting these these special bird nests that are delicacies in, in Asia, in China. Um, I think in China and some other places. But they eat they eat these they put them in soup and they eat these uh, birds nests. And the birds make these nests with their spit. That's what they do. And they're delicacies and, and I think it costs a lot of money for that soup. I've never had it. Uh, but the point being is, is this guy had been had malaria several times, went back. His wife died of cancer, went back. He was cap he was captivated by the beauty of Jesus and the gospel. Captivated by it to the point where other things, maybe the things in our life that like matter so much, like fantasy football drafts and different things like that, didn't matter as much to him. He did like his sports though. But he was captivated and he went and he left. And I don't know what that means for you. Um, but, you know, that's something to think about and pray about and ask God, like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What does this mean for me? What's it mean for a person at the University of Maryland to follow me? I mean, ultimately, it means, it means you got to be interested in people. you got to be interested in loving people and going after people, loving them and serving them. Not trying to bait and switch them or sell them anything. But it means you got to serve them and love them. And the joy of the Gospel will come through and it will change them. Just like it changed you. Being a fisher of men. Repenting and believing in the Gospel. Let me pray. Father, thanks for uh, tonight. Thank You for the message of the Kingdom of God and Jesus' boldness. Um, Lord, it's hard to imagine... Um, just how amazing that would have been to be there, to hear you call and, and to see people leaving their jobs, leaving their fists, leaving the nets, leaving their family and following you. But we know, Jesus, that you are beautiful. You are loving and you are good. And so I pray that you would show us where we need to be, <laughs> show us what things we need to leave to follow you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So go ahead and scan. Uh, we're going to close with...